It's March 24th, 2021, and we are recapping the LEC Spring Split and looking ahead to the playoffs with Aaron Medic Chamberlain. This is the True Sight Podcast. Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and joining me today, all the way from Berlin, is LEC play-by-play caster Aaron Medic Chamberlain. Medic, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Tim. It's, uh, it's great to be here. It's uh, it's great to have you because Europe is is a scene that you know I, I followed a lot more in the past. Uh, I used to cover LEC and LCS both simultaneously, but over the past couple of years, I've dug a lot more into kind of the whole NA vertical, covering Academy very closely, looking to amateur, and I've had to give up some of the, the, you know, how close I watch LEC. So I really, I, the reason I wanted to have you on this show, or one of the reasons is to use you as kind of my cheat sheet for the LEC playoffs. Tell me what's been going on, because I haven't been able to watch. So <laughs> I hope you're comfortable being exploited that way. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I can give you the base level such. As you said, I'm a play-by-play. So if we're going super <laughs> in-depth, I'm going to look at my own cheat sheet, which is talking to various Cajal and Ender. But I think I have enough knowledge to carry us through. As long as you give me a more accurate view than, you know, reading Reddit comments, then I think we're in a pretty good spot. It'd be hard to be less accurate. So, <laughs> so why don't we just launch into it then? We, you know, we've wrapped up. There's been a break between the spring regular season, wrap that up, heading into the postseason. So before we look forward, let's spend a little bit of time looking back. Uh, if you if you kind of looked at the spring regular season and looked at some kind of the preseason expectations you had and then the way things actually played out, what have kind of been your, your biggest surprises of this season? I, I think the surprises uh, didn't really abound that much in the LEC. Like teams kind of placed where we expected them to. Rogue uh, making some of the best roster changes in bringing Odawamne in really uh, shown out. But to me, Misfits were probably the biggest surprise. I think... After a very disappointing start, a lot of us looked at them as a team that would end up middle of the pack. But near the end of the regular season, they actually really started to shine. VCO especially had some very strong games. And uh, Hirit as a top laner, I think a lot of us thought, well, at least I, I thought that he would be found out. I thought he wasn't of the mm -hmm. caliber of top laners uh, that we have in Europe. And he actually managed to, to shine and was very willing to give up his lane state to uh, win other lanes and still somehow yeah. not fall too far behind. So to me, Misfits was the biggest shock. Apart from that, perhaps Fnatic falling down the standings as well. Uh, I thought that even losing Reckless, they were adding in Upset, who is an incredible AD carry and one of the best in Europe. They were adding in Niski, who had had some good times on C9 and who had uh, historically done well in Europe as well. So I think them ending 9-9 isn't a huge shock, but the caliber of their play wasn't at the level I expected. Is there anything that you could say, looking at this season, like, is there anything you could tell me that if I was somebody back in January, I wouldn't have believed? Or has Ooh. it really been that much on script? I mean, I think Schalke finishing fourth is something you wouldn't have expected. <laughs> the, the thing with Schalke finishing fourth is, obviously, kudos to them. Great job. They get into the upper bracket of our double elimination sort of format, so that's really good for them. But I think they didn't perform like a team you would expect to finish fourth. Like, I mm. think if you look across the entirety of the season, Fnatic probably at their highs were better than Schalke. And so the expectation is, even though they got the, the ranking, they probably aren't going to stay in playoffs for very long 
Yeah, you always end up having some teams like that where their their record doesn't seem to you know necessarily accurately reflect their actual level of play. Exactly. So you know there there are always some metrics I like to look at on that front. Um, the two that I like the most, a couple of advanced gold metrics, gold percent rating, which measures the amount. You know the the average amount of the game's gold relative to fifty percent that you hold, so how much you play from ahead or yep. behind, and, and by what margin, and gold it's spent what we'd percentage call, difference. Um, yeah, we'd call it a major lead, major deficit. So yeah, have a so it, it's five percent. Yeah, it's like major lead, major deficit, except without cutoffs. It's just a continuous metric, right? So oh, okay. you don't, you don't bucket the, it in. You just say like, you know, if if we were if we had fifty one point three percent, that gets measured as a plus one point three, for example. Oh, okay. so that's really cool. So in in GPR, Shaka are fifth. That's not bad. In yeah. GSPD, which is basically like margin of victory at the end of the game, they're sixth. So, yeah. if yeah, I think I think you could probably pretty reasonably look at them and say they're probably probably more of a fifth, sixth team rather than a fourth. But I, I, that's what I'd say. I think Schalke performed to the level I expected them to, and the way that tiebreakers work, and the fact they had a good end of the season, uh, put bolstered them up a spot or two. Like my my expectation was they were going to make playoffs. Whether they did it in fifth or sixth was the question for me. Yeah. But they end up, so they end up coming fourth, and then yep. fifth and sixth was was what misfits, SK? fanatic and SK. Misfits Sorry, fanatic and SK. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what about at the top end of it? So I, I think everybody would have come into the season and said, "Hey, G two, they add reckless. They're gonna, you know, they might be even better than they were before." Did it play out that way? Uh, yes. They are even better than they were before. The first half of the season, uh, like so, I looked at their stats today. Uh, first half of the season, they were a little middling, um, but they were still a good team. Like they were first or second in the basic metrics that you use to track teams. You know, goal difference, CST, uh, major lead, major deficit, all of that. They were they were doing better than everyone else they were playing. Um, second half of the season, they were first in the majority of those statistics. So there was obviously a little bit of a settling period with them. Yeah. And I think if coming into week eight, they had said, we need to win every game, they would have won every game. But because they knew that they only had to match Rogue uh, over the last three games, I think we saw a couple of happy games from them with a Rumble <laughs> mid and a Rek'Sai jungle. Um, and then when G2. they needed to win, yeah, exactly, classic G2. When they needed to win, they did. Um, I think G2, it's difficult to say they are a better version of the G2 we saw in 2019 and 2020. Mm -hmm. But if they continue their trajectory and if they continue improving the small things that seem to lack, uh, I think they definitely could be by the time we get around to MSI, Summer or Worlds. Yeah, I mean, I think focusing a little more on G2 here, do you think, you know, we can speak about the quality of the team. What do you think about kind of their, their style or their flexibility? Because I think that's something that people would have looked at G2 with perks and said, hey, look, you know, he's a mid laner swapped a bot. He plays all these different things. There's such a flexible kind of a style. Whereas Reckless tends to get viewed as more of a narrow, like give him a lot of farm and he'll carry kind of thing. Did they narrow in their style as a team or do they still have that really high level of flexibility? I think because they have flexibility in so many roles, they haven't had to narrow their style. Uh, like when you have five different players on the team who on a day can carry the team to victory, their idea that because perks could play mid laners in the bot lane or because uh, Pike could be flexed to five different roles, G2 were more uh, adaptable and more flexible in 2019 is a little bit spurious. Uh, you have to remember as well, Reckless was the first AD carry to start playing Janna in, yeah. in LEC. It didn't work, but he did it. He played Syndra, he played Garen Yumi bot lane. Like, the guy isn't averse to experimentation. And there yeah. was a question, as, as you say, like, would he um, 
fit the mold that G2 was. Like, he is an incredible weapon, but did they need to remold him? And they haven't really had to, because you've got Wonder who can play split push or who can play tank or who can play um, yeah. a typical bruiser in the top lane. You've got Yankos, who's now really shining on carry junglers, and the team seems to be adapting a, a really well into him playing carry junglers. You've got Caps, who can literally play every champion in yeah. the game in mid lane. And then you have Mickey, who can go from enchanters to tanks in, in a series. So yeah. I, I think G2, I, I don't think the meta at the moment is as flexible as it was when G2 had this like incredible amount of flexibility. Sure. And I think some people will look at that and say, G2 aren't as flexible now, but I, I really don't think that's true. Yeah, you don't have, you know, everybody playing Syndra and Yasuo on the bot lane anymore. Exactly, right. the game, But that's the game itself, right? That's the way the meta has gone, not the team. Yeah. I think Reckless is an interesting one to try to try to peg that way because, you know, I, I had uh, Tolkien from Fnatic on the show uh, a mm -hmm. few weeks ago and, and kind of shared the take that I thought Reckless was able to play with or without resources and fairly flexibly. He said, oh, no, I think Reckless always, you know, wants to get all the resources. And you, you have people who view him in so many different ways. And I think it's because Reckless has had so much depth and length to his career that you can form a, a, an opinion of him at a certain time, but the next season it might be different, and the season after that, yeah. like he can, I think he molds himself quite a lot depending on where he's playing, right? I, I mean, I definitely agree with you there. I also think wanting to have all the resources and being given all the resources <laughs> by your team are two different things, right? Yeah. Like, um, let me let me see if I can quickly grab up some stats here because we do have stats. a uh, like I know, right? We have a, a <laughs> database of this, like so. Reckless is getting currently. 24% of his team's gold on average, which is the highest of all, uh, second highest of all AD carries in the league, right? But that doesn't mean that he is being deliberately funneled that gold. Right. What G2 are really good at doing is making sure that everyone on the team is getting a huge amount of gold because they're out CSing and they're going into the enemy jungle yeah. and they're getting all of these objectives, right? Like he, Caps is falling behind a little bit. He's only got 22.5% of his gold, but he's still in the top five. Like, yeah. just because Reckless is a resource sink doesn't mean that the rest of G2 are falling behind because he is getting those resources. Well, and I think so, especially, yeah. yeah, highly flexible teams that are capable of playing three lanes at once. I think that, you know, the, there are certain teams that will play one or two lanes at a time in the mid game, right? They'll, they'll have a main group in the mid lane and then one person on the side lane and they'll kind of cover them and then catch the other lane as they need to. And other teams will play, are more likely to play all three lanes at once, whether it's a straight up one, three, one or something a little more subtle than that. But when you play kind of the more towards the one three one style, and you have your bot laner in the mid lane just clearing every wave with, you know, he even did play Sivir this split, but it doesn't have to be Sivir. <laughs> then they end up getting a lot of CS, and the side laners end up getting a little more as well. Um, you know, the, just the the type of style your team plays with their mid game macro will change how your CS and your how your gold gets distributed, right? So, uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think um like just a, a addendum point to that is. Someone was talking to Mickey about how Reckless gets so many stacks on center, right? And obviously, stacks on center equal gold as well. You get like eight gold yeah. each time you get one. But the team deliberately holds waves so that even if he's like not getting the CS, he's getting the stacks. Or they will deliberately yeah. delay a jungle camp by 10 seconds so he's in range so he can get these stacks. And it, that's not just something they do for Reckless. That's something they do for every player on the team when they need it. So... As much as, yes, Reckless does get a lot of resources, I think G2 are just very, very good at utilizing every single resource they can on the map. Yeah, and, and I think Reckless has definitely shown in his career that even in a meta or on a team where they want to funnel more of the CS into mid or top, he can still serve very well in that role. You called exactly. it the Janna. You know, the cannon that he's played before that didn't need to yeah. be farming quite as much. I'm um, going to be weak-sided a lot, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. G2 definitely interesting. Uh, 
there's there are a couple other teams that I think have vied with them. Rogue would be the ones who obviously finished with the same record. Um, do you think how how much of a candidate are Rogue to kind of take over that number one spot with G two? I think Rogue are decisively the second best team in the league. Whether or not they can beat G two in a best of five is still to be seen. My I would err on the seventy percent G two, thirty percent Rogue, and mm. I think it would have to be an off day for G two. Um, yeah. Like Rogue shored up their weaknesses great. Like Finn was not the best top laner the league has ever seen. He like he was ser- serviceable, but he was always going to be a weak point of the map. Whereas Oduwamne is just has this wealth of experience and allows Rogue to play through Inspired, to play through mid, to play through bot lane. Like he gets the least jungle proximity of anyone in the t- in the top lane and has the best CSD. Like he has 10 CSD with 7% JP. And it's just, it's absolutely absurd how well he plays the weak side of the map. And then adding in Trimby as well, I think it's a side grade uh, from Vander, but he has slotted in well with the team. So my expectation is Rogue can take a game off G2, um, but because the roster doesn't have as much experience together in best of fives and because, I mean, the last time we really saw a team get to finals and challenge G2 was 2019 uh, summer. Yeah, I'm not sure Rogue are quite there yet. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the two players you mentioned because I think those are the ones that everybody kind of wants to talk about as the new additions to the team. So on on Auto, the Auto, Auto Omni front, I can't even say his name right now. Uh, with with Alfari coming out of the league and and going to NA, and I think a lot of people looked at him as you, you might debate whether he's the best overall top laner, but you know definitely one of the most skilled and you know really really strong in lane and those kinds of things. Does Odo Omni slot into that top one or, or a top two kind of position in the in the LAC top lane? You think? I think it depends on your metric because uh, if your metric is statistically Odo Omni is the best top laner in the league mm-hmm. right now, in my opinion. Like he has, as, as we said first on CSD, his gold difference is the best. His jungle proximity is the lowest. Uh, he, I think he has like the least deaths early game of any top laner in the league and he's and always then, been good at coming in with the team fights and all of that and, and exactly right game. yeah his team fighting is like rogue's team fighting is second best in the league only to g2 again mm-hmm. um but if you say is he the most well-rounded top laner well then you have to look at the fact that rogue don't really play through top lane they only play weak side yeah. top and wonder gives you more flexibility gives you more variability can bring out a quinn can bring out i know a mundo top or an ivan top or something and yeah. just style on people right so i i think oduwamne was the best roster move of probably the west in in uh spring and i i can't say worldwide because i don't follow the lck and lpl well enough but in all honesty the amount that uh has leveled up rogue is is astonishing to me and in on the trimby front then do you is he a a rookie of the split front runner or you know do you think somebody else has been a little a little more ahead of, of him in that game. Uh, do you want me to talk about Rookie of the Split holistically, or should we just talk about sure. Trimby himself? No, let's let's talk about the rookies. Because I think, you know, LEC rookies coming in in general has always been a big thing that, that Europe is so good at replenishing talent. Yeah. Um, you know, shipping off some players to NA and then bringing in new people to, to fill in behind them pretty, pretty effectively, right? Um, but this yeah. year's rookie crop, you know, I'm not sure. Does it have that same kind of shine to it that we've had in, in previous years? I think it does. I, like the, the problem with looking at rookies in the LEC is you're always looking for the next caps, right? You're always looking for the yeah. guy that basically defines the league or the next perk. Uh, but obviously, perk's not around anymore. I mean, caps went on to win. He, he lost two finals and then won six titles in a row and is currently undefeated like in the last three years. The guy's an absolute yeah. demon in the mid lane. But um, 
I think with rookies, especially as you say, because we lost a lot of good players this year, you're always going to have your hits and misses. And I think there'd be more hits than misses this year. I think Trimby is very strong. Uh, he suffers slightly from being on a really good team. Uh, and so it, you, he doesn't really get ch the chance to shine that perhaps a rookie sure. on another team would. Uh, VTO has had his moments a little bit inconsistent, but kind of to be expected from a new rookie coming onto the LEC stage. Uh, and then Elioya has to be the big standout. Like this mm. guy is the best jungler pre-10 in the LEC. Like statistically, you watch his pathing, he does it all. He gets mad lines into leads, into leads in more games than not. And it's honestly a, a fault of the team that they can't convert and don't convert more than they do. They seem to not understand how to walk away from their enemies when it gets past <laughs> the 10 minute mark. But yeah, in my opinion, Elioya is the standout. And then you're looking at Trimby. Uh, you've got people who are a little bit lower. Uh, Jezu has had a really good performance on SK. Uh, his, but again, he kind of suffers from the fact that Treats has really shone. And although, so as a side note, Treats is technically yeah. a rookie by LEC yeah. standards. But most of us are saying, hey, sorry, Treats, but you're not a rookie. We're not going to, like, I, yeah. I didn't vote for him. And I'll happily say to him, look, um, you're not a rookie, mate. You played eight games for TSM. Not yeah. just that's, you know, a beginner league. I'm not going to count you. <laughs> <laughs> the technical cutoff is nine games, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's so one it's... of those, like, we, we introduced those rules because there was an issue with Whippo uh, when he joined where he played MSI, I think it was, with Fnatic, or he played something. Yeah. Uh, I played Worlds with Fnatic, and then he couldn't be a rookie. So we were like, okay, well, we need to work some rules around this to try and work out how we do how we do rookies. But... Um, yeah, it's yeah. an oversight, I think. From It is from, tricky yeah. because like, we have things on the other side in NA with a player like Fudge right now playing for Cloud9 who is can't be considered a rookie because he played uh, in, in Oceania, right? And he went to yeah. Worlds there. And that is a pro league. It's a Worlds qualifying league. But some people want to look at him, especially because he's so young still. He's been playing pro for a couple of years now, but he's still really young. And so people want to look at that and say, ah, he feels like a rookie, right? It, it yep. looks like a rookie. It quacks like a rookie, but he's technically not. A, so, I mean, you're always going to have these things and you have to kind of work around them. But yeah, I, I like the um, if they've played in a world's qualifying region for I, I would put the yeah. cutoff at like five games personally, uh, but mm -hmm. it just depends where you're going to like it's in the end. That's a, a decision to be made by people who have more experience in the space than me. But yeah, anyway, was, Treats yeah. has played really well as well. Um, and then you get down to like the second tier of like the Tinkses, the Shigendas. Um, all of them have had okay performances. No one has really shone uh, in terms of rookies at that sort of second level. But I don't think anyone's really disappointed either, personally. Yeah. I don't think there's been anyone that I've said, hey, that was just like, you, you shouldn't be in the LEC next year from the rookie crop at least. Sure. Do you think this, this rookie, this batch of rookies has held up to previous years? So I think, the, I think the when you look at it, the issue is you always have a couple of years on the rest of the rookies, right? Because yeah. if you looked at, um, I think it was 2019 when Humanoid, Abadage, and um, oh, one other player joined. I can't yeah, remember right. who it was, but there was like a, a, there were three new rookie mid laners. I can't remember who the, oh, Larson. It was Larson. Right? If you looked at that year, Humanoid really shone in, weir in year one. And then yeah. Abadage had a really good summer last year. Larson has consistently grown and is now second only to Caps in the mid lane. So that rookie crop looks really good now. But actually yeah. in 2019, only one of them looked that good. Um, I think we have two or three players that I'm really going to have my eye on for summer. Elioya, uh, VTO, probably Jezu as well, because I think he could really shine. 
Um, and then you have the players who are like, hey, you're middling. Maybe you'll start to show up. I think Trimby yeah. has improved over the course of the season, but hasn't really challenged like the Hillisang or the Mickey or the Kaisers of the LEC yet. Uh, I think it was it was Nemesis the other player you're you're fishing. Nemesis, for, right? Nemesis, yeah. Shout out to Twitch chat on that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think you know that that's always something that um, you do get excited about is is EU talent and the chance for that to shine through. And you know, there's going to be another EU Masters coming up. Um, mm -hmm. See another batch of those players. So, uh, and we'll see if maybe some players do get swapped out for summer. I think especially with um, you know it is hard to have in season flexibility now. Um, but especially with the, the LEC still having the format of completely separate spring and summer compared to the LCS is now carrying over the win-loss record. I think it you'd expect a little more change in Europe than you get in North America. But yeah, also, Pedro we have to fight against point. all the import restrictions, <laughs> whereas Europe is like, importing? What's the purpose of that? <laughs> so a little easier. Pedro actually made a really good point to me about, um, I think it was, he made it in my vicinity about swapping. <laughs> and it's this idea of, if you are going to take a team and you're going to be like, oh, we'll continue to develop this five-man roster, you do that between summer and spring. Like, actually, mm. if you're going to, if you want to try and improve and you want to try and grow for summer, you don't, you should make changes. So if as a team, you are not hitting the benchmark, you should bring someone new in because you actually only have two months to try and like totally revitalize your team. Whereas between mm. summer and, and the new year, you have a much longer period to sit down and prep and plan and, and try and change the way players play. So I, I I would like to see a couple of changes. I think Vitality, there have been rumors about uh, whether Nemesis is going to join them. Uh, I know Astralis brought in Magic Felix near the end of the season. I thought they started to, to shine a little bit as well. And I wonder if XL are going to make any changes because they are consistently on the outside looking in. It doesn't seem to be working for them. So. Yeah, I think Excel is one that they, they seem to have like a surprisingly hot start. Or was it more the middle of the split where they, they suddenly had a run of, of winning and you thought, oh, maybe this is it, right? Maybe they're starting to click. Yeah, they did really well at the start. I think the thing with Excel was they had this very specific style of we will do nothing for the first 20 minutes of the game. We'll pick a zit, we'll pick Kale, yeah. we'll farm, we'll scale. Perhaps like at times they were like 5k gold behind. But because their team fighting was good and because they had better scaling tools yeah. in their composition, they were able to win. The issue became when teams were more coordinated and had more practice together and were a little better at punishing you, uh, they just they never really adapted their style. They tried it for one week, didn't work, and then they went back to scaling and teams were just better than them because Patrick yeah. uh, Patrick couldn't just solo carry the team through games. Well, and I think, you know, it's always been true in League and especially over the past few years that picking scaling comps is the easiest way to win the next game in front of you, right? But it's yep. not the best way to improve and to become the better team. I, I tend to look at it as kind of like a um, a degree of difficulty multiplier, like in, in you know, like ski jumping or stuff like that, they'll, or diving or, or whatever, yeah. when they're judging a, a dive or, or a, a, you know, a trick, they'll say, here's the degree of difficulty score. And now we say the execution, we multiply those together. And obviously a higher degree of difficulty has a potential to have a much higher score, but it's more difficult. Drafting a more difficult uh, to execute comp that involves more early game proactivity or a, a trickier kind of macro setup and maybe split pushing or whatever it's going to be. That's always going to be uh, a way that, that you can lose some games because you didn't execute it well enough. But if you rely on winning with scaling and team fights and you come up against a team that's just better than you, it's, it's not going to pan out. And if there are teams, I think Dignitas has been a team like that in NA um, who've done 
quite a bit of that this year. And you also get it when you go international and you have a, have teams domestically who looked very good domestically and they go and they did it with a lot of like in team fighting and then they go internationally and just get destroyed in the early game and it's too far to come back from. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those yeah. topics that I think comes out of it. And people who view the game very much as a, well, if you want to win, you scale in team fight. You know, uh, is that really the best way to, to plan the long future, long-term future of your org? I don't think so. Oh, exactly. It's like in solo queue, you look for the team that has the easy ultimates to combine. And if, mm. if you have easy ultimates, like, cool, okay, we're going to win this game because all I have to do is press R and then you can see my yeah. massive R and I, you just press <laughs> R as well. But um, yeah, I think the, that, as you say, the teams that have that variability and who can play scaling if they need to, but can also play early team fights, early skirmishes, yep. carry junglers, split push, although split push is kind of dead in the meta at the moment. But like yeah. those those sorts of uh, strengths really uh, show up a lot more when it comes to playoffs and when it comes to international tournaments. Do you think that applies to the G2 Rogue comparison? I think the thing with Rogue is... Ah, uh, hmm. Let me structure this in a way that I am comfortable with. So yes, I think the because we haven't seen Rogue have to explore and adapt as much as we've seen G2 do it, you are always going to rate high, G2 higher than Rogue. And because we haven't seen them in a best of five really uh, get knocked down in game one with a specific style and then bring something totally out of the bag uh, on in game two, I have a lot more faith in G2 because I've seen them do that. I've seen them, you know, fall behind to SKT and come back. I've seen them fall behind to Fnatic and come back. And so maybe we'll get into playoffs and we'll we'll see Rogue bring out an entirely new style because they actually did uh, for summer last year. I remember they were playing mm. less around Inspired and then when we came into playoffs, they started to do Inspired on Evelyn. They started to go for carry junglers and... I mean, all of Europe switched towards carry junglers near yeah. the end of last year, so it was a meta shift. But it was good to see that they had that adaptability and that uh, ability to change on the fly. The question is whether or not they can do that against a team that will be able to punish them if they make the smallest mistake with that yeah. style. Because if they're playing XL, sure, play an early game skirmish comp, I trust you. You can beat them even if you're not as good at that as you are at your slightly more methodical objective-focused. Um, so yeah, I think as well there is a... It's important to note with Rogue, they aren't a slow team. They are just right. very good at playing by a playbook um, mm -hmm. because they are they're, they're, they're one of the quicker teams in the LEC. They're very good at getting early gold leads, but they do it in a very specific way, playing through Inspired. And the question is, if you then shut down Inspired, can they play through the other lanes? Do you think Inspired has a has a case for uh, first team All-Pro Jungler? Is, is he in that discussion? I think he has a case for MVP. Really? Honestly, like, yeah, but I think he is the best jungler in the league at the moment in the in the way that he paths and the way that he plays. I think that the impact he has for Rogue and the amount of advantages he gets them is uh, very strong. Uh, and I think there is there are a few people I would put on my MVP list. Uh, and the the thing always is with MVP that it becomes more of a, a slightly subjective viewpoint because yeah. I have treats on there as well because I think. He had a huge impact for SK, and when Treats was on form, SK would win. Um, but yeah, I think Odo, uh, Inspired, and Treats are my three MVP candidates. Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, th there's so many nuances to this, and you know, we're, I think we're yep. one week ahead in the cycle for LCS awards just because we jumped into playoffs that one week quicker. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, the definitions of how you vote someone to be an All Pro based on what criteria, and then how do you vote someone to be an MVP? 
And I've personally always taken the approach that it's, you know, the value to the team rather than just straight up quality of play. And if you look at straight up quality of play, you're probably more likely to look at somebody on G2 and say, hey, look, you know, all these exactly, players are right. so good. But if you're looking at, if you took this player out of the team, how good would they be? And you could just replace them with like an average level player. Uh, you get some much more interesting conversations, I think, about, yeah. about who earns that. I had that conversation last year around MVP because I, I put, um, I think at least I put Gilius on my list or I was, yeah. I was. Uh, discussing putting Gilius on my list. And I had a lot of people saying, hey, playing for Schalke, they were 10th. They're not incredible. Like, how can you do it? It doesn't even have good numbers. It's like, they added him mm-hmm. and then they won like eight games out of the next nine. Yeah. That is, he is the most valuable. Like, I could take caps out of G2 and they probably still win five or six games out of out of uh, yeah. nine, right? But I don't know. I think uh, it's always a, an interesting discussion. Uh, yeah. But yes, Inspired would be my all pro number one, personally. Interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what the results are that come through for that. I think uh, I, I love All Pro for a couple of reasons and, and MVP as well. Uh, you know, one is that it, it's a way to honor these players and it actually means something to them, right? It goes on their resume. It goes into their history. People look them up and say, hey, look, they finished first team All Pro this many times or, you know, they earn these MVP awards. But it also is just such a such a great discussion facilitator. And people get oh, to argue about it and say, you know, as long as you're arguing respectfully, uh, you know, I have to delete a few YouTube comments now and then. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but as, as long as you're, you're having these discussions in good faith, I think there is just so much fun to talk about how you define them and, you know, what your criteria are and and just to celebrate it. it it's also something that is focused on the strong performers and celebrating those rather than ripping on people who make mistakes all the time, which is I, I, t- I try to, to, you know, direct my my own. Uh, coverage more towards the positive and celebratory side so i think it's another reason why i like it i think it's always a good thing to do right like there is in any game uh in any competitive sport there's going to be discussion of the negatives it's going to be oh you didn't do this oh you got caught out etc but um i try even with my casting i try and err on the positive someone doesn't Mm -hmm. miss a hook you know it was dodged or Mm -hmm. um, yeah those sorts of things obviously you have to call it out from time to time because sometimes players are a little bit uh into (laughs) Uh, but yeah, try, I, I just like positivity generally. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely have to criticize people who deserve criticism as long as you're not trying to score free points off it. Just to, oh yeah, I think that's the that's the main thing for me. Uh, let's talk about a couple more of these teams. I think Mad Lions are another one that that came into the season, you know, made some changes. Uh, I think there were in some cases mixed opinions about the changes and whether they would be improved. You know, a lot of people looking at Shadow and saying, oh, you know, we thought he was really good, and where's he going to end up next? And uh, you've already talked about Elioya and, and having uh, having a really good time replacing him. Do you think the changes that Mad Lions have made at this point in the year were an overall improvement? Hmm. It's a bit of a difficult question because I think, yes, if I look at the individual players, I think Armut has been an upgrade over Arome. I think Elioya, compared to how Shadow was playing at least at the end of summer last year, is an upgrade as well. Um, and I think, like, it would be difficult to say Elioya isn't better than Shadow when Elioya is like the best early game or best first 10-minute sure. jungler in the league, right? Um, however, Mad Lions don't seem stronger than they were last year. And I'm wondering, I, I, I wonder where that weakness is coming from because it feels mm. more of a, a team-wide issue than, it, than individual players. Uh, Kazi has had a poor split for him, at least, uh, in my opinion. I don't think he has uh, shone in the way he used to. Kaiser as well, because Kazi is underperforming, doesn't have the opportunities he used to. Like, we look back to the Wukong Senna's, we look back to yeah. his ability to engage team fights um, 
in 2020. It's just not quite there at the moment. Humanoid has been solid, although he continues to die in side lanes, which is kind of his thing. Um, <laughs> but the the, ma the major issue for Mad Lions, in my opinion, is their mid-game decision-making. Like The amount of times they've gone into the 25-minute mark with a 3k gold lead, a 4k gold lead, and then it's crumbled because they don't reset at the right time, or they reset in in uh, sporadically. So two of them are out on the map, but they can't get vision, yeah. they can't get pressure, one of them gets caught, and then the enemy team is getting the ocean soul or something it 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 feels much more like a holistic team issue mm -hmm. uh, than those individual players so mad lines have upgraded in terms of individual skill but downgraded in terms of team level yeah i mean and, and i am a big fan of the coaching staff there but they did have some coaching staff changes and when you see these kinds of things in coordination and, and macro kind of stuff i think it's fair to, to say i wonder if the coaching changes played into that right yeah, I mean, losing Peter Dunn is huge. Peter Dunn is an incredible coach. Um, Mac has tried to step into his boots, right? And he he has done a good job at times. Uh, but it, there definitely seems to just be something. Either they are, they're missing or they haven't quite managed to enact the coaching that's happening. Because if I can see it and I'm you know, a play-by-play -play and just watching the game uh, super more superficially than a coach would be, uh, then the coach is definitely noticing it. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it's something that when, you know, just like with a player that they need experience and having seen scenarios uh, a bunch of times before they get to really round into their full potential, I think it's it's true with yeah. a coach as well, right? You have to, when you change your, your job description a little bit and you take on more responsibilities, it's going to take some more time to balance all of that and be able to um, recognize the appropriate way to handle different issues or, or to... Uh, lead the team in a certain direction. So I'm sure Mac is continuing to, to grow into that. And I think he's great. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to succeed with them, but you know, this is first split as uh, kind of the independent head coach of that group. So, yeah. And they, they have moved as well. Like last year it was humanoid. who was like the veteran. And then you had a bunch of rookies around him who were making a name for themselves. And maybe there's more weight on Kazi and Kaiser now to, to be leaders and to be shot callers. I, I don't know the exact uh, calling within the team. If I, I actually remember talking to Mac relatively early on in the split. He says El Yoya does a lot of comms as well. So maybe there is just a little bit of an experience when it comes to who is leading when it gets to mid-game and, and how they are making decisions. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a team that shouldn't have any issues with you know experience or potentially with communication, but a little harder to say in that front, is Fnatic. Uh, you yeah. know, very experienced roster. players that A lot of players that have been together quite a while now, but also some new, new guys uh, slotting in coming from other teams where they've been quite successful. What have you felt about Fnatic's play style of integrating uh, Niski and, uh, and Upset? Fnatic like to fight, and they don't really know when not to <laughs> fight. Um, yeah, <laughs> unsurprisingly. I mean, the, uh, Upset and Hillsang are like the bloodiest 2v2 bot lane in the league. They get the most 2v2 kills of any of any uh, bot lane. So they both Niski and Upset are great players, and they continue to be great players. The issue that Fnatic have found is they don't really have breaks at the moment, and it feels like sometimes they've talked about it, and we, we've discussed it on broadcast. Like, Reckless was the guy that's like, hey, do we, let's just take a breath here. Let's take a step back and just make sure that we are setting up properly and, and making sure the play is a good one, right? And Whippo mm -hmm. and Hillisang have regularly said... They, they're on the front foot. They are always looking for the players. They're always getting in. And you can see it in their play, right? Like They are always the the people face-checking bushes. And sometimes it just doesn't work for them. Now, Fnatic are mechanically very good. So sometimes yeah. they can take a bad trade and they can win the skirmish. And when they 
when they win skirmishes early on, they tend to win the game. They're very good at snowballing the game away from their opponents. But the issue for them, uh, and this has to be taken with a pinch of salt, obviously, because um, Hillisang, I believe, came out and said he had COVID or was yeah. tested positive for COVID. So there is a pinch of salt of coming into the last few weeks, how much was that affecting them and how much was it um, just the general team? But if Fnatic can rein back, 5%, 10% in the moments they need to, they can be challenging the G2s and Rogues. They, they are a good enough team and they have shown enough signs of like um, being coordinated to do that. It's just whether or not they can consistently stop themselves going for that little into play, you know? Yeah, well, so again, I, I had uh, Tolkien on the show uh, recently and something I found really interesting talking about it and I, I think I... I I think the way the conversation went is I pointed out that they basically had the highest combined kills per minute of pretty much any team yep. in any major re- of the major regions. Uh, and he said to me, and I'm pretty sure he was being serious, but maybe he was just hard trolling. He said they want more. He said they don't, he thinks that they want to be even more aggressive than that. They want to push the yep. pace. Not that they need to rein it in and pick the right fights, but that, that they want to continue extending that play style. Do you I think mean, that makes any like- sense at all? It's worked for teams in the past. You look at LPL teams in 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. 2020, like being aggressive, being on the front foot, never letting the opposed, uh, even G2 in 2018, never, uh, 2019, sorry, yeah. 2020, 2019. Um, <laughs> never letting the opposition have a moment to breathe is a yeah. good way to win games of League of Legends. You just need to be good enough to do it and you need to be coordinated enough to do it. And a lot of that comes down to playing around pockets of vision that your opposition doesn't realize that they lack. Um, we used to see G2 a lot getting to the enemy jungle via uh, inventive routes, like jumping over (laughs) walls so you can avoid vision. Uh, And you can see signs of that from Fnatic. And if they can... I I think saying you want more is good, but you need to pick your moments to take more because you can't be 100% all the time. At times, you have to reset together. At times, you have to reset up vision, right? Um, And they are good enough players to constantly skirmish. They just need to be willing to not take the play after they've won the last one. Because if yeah. you get a couple of kills and you don't spend your gold, you're actually at a deficit for your opposition, yeah. right? So. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always felt that discretion is the better part of Valor. You know, I think yeah. it's a saying that that makes a lot of sense to me. But, you know, I, I think it's 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 a little easy to sit where I am right now and look back and say, what do you mean you want even more? Like, look at the la- how the last couple of weeks went. You need to figure it out. But... He said that before the last couple of weeks. So, you know, have to be fair on that front. Uh, and I think before kind of the, the COVID stuff came out. So, you know, don't want to be too much hindsight biased. But I mean, I, yeah, I, I do, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's also good to have a style that isn't the same as everyone else in the league. Mm-hmm. Like if they want to be that bloody aggressive team and they want to really shine on that, yes, they will have weaknesses. But the question is, are the teams that aren't scrimming against that, the teams that aren't regularly playing against that style able to capitalize on those weaknesses because it's it's difficult on the fly when there are five players in your lane at three minutes in the game to work out how to play against it right um i think g2 and rogue will have a chance against it but i think if Fnatic enact it properly they they can make finals again maybe they could even take down g2 yeah i think it's possible i i think i i was one of the people out there saying went with the roster changes i think there was a lot of community uh low expectations for niski you know, and I was one of the people out there trying to defend that and say, no, Niski's actually really good in, in the style he plays, should fit in really well and all that kind of thing. And saying Fnatic, to me, looked like a top two candidate. They mm-hmm. haven't looked like it so far, I'd say. So, you know, it seems like I've been 
little off base on that, but yeah, I, I agree. I think they, they definitely have the quality to contest those guys. And I think if everything clicks for Fnatic, uh, beating Rogue should definitely be within reach, right? And G2, I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And G2 like, is, I mean, you just is said... questionable because they have the five best players in the five best roles. Like they, even even on a bad day, it's difficult to beat G2. So yeah. But yeah, I think Fnatic could definitely take down Rogue. Um, the worry would be they overstep once and then Rogue suffocate them because that's what Rogue yeah. is really good at doing. Right? So yeah, and and I mean potentially Mad Lions could be an interesting opponent uh, too. Yep. That. When you play that kind of high aggression style, it is high variance, right? You can have, it means you can beat anyone, but it also means you can just have a total dumpster of a game yeah. or a series. <laughs> You'd like to think they have enough mental fortitude to not like anti-snowball themselves out of a series because they have so much experience, but... Yeah, I mean, it's tough though, because if your game plan is all about outplaying and getting kills and going like heavy aggression, if you make a misplay or if your enemy outplays you... It yeah. must be really difficult to get yourself in a, a mental state where it's like, oh, next time I'll win the 1v1. Next time I'll yeah. win the 50-50. Um, yeah. so. Obviously, I can't, as you say, we can't comment on Fnatic's mental state, but it's an interesting idea. Is it really that difficult to say next time I'll get it? Isn't that what every player does in solo queue? I mean, yeah, but there's <laughs> the difference between, like, you're on, you're the you lose the 1v1 and go, I'll kill right? him next time. Let's fight again. <laughs> you true, lose it again. True. I'll kill him next time. What do you mean he yeah. has an item advantage? Yeah, but uh, no, T, I, know, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, a little different. So, coming into the playoffs, we have, uh, you know, three game days this week Fnatic against SK, G2 against Shaka, Mad Lions against Rogue. Which of those do you think has the potential to be the closest series? Mad versus Rogue would, on the surface, uh, yeah, seem I, like it. I, I like the question closest, because none of them are going to be close, but one of yeah. them will definitely metrically be closer than the others. <laughs> I think Mad Rogue is the, is the only one, really, I see the underdogs at, at, with a chance of a win. Uh, not even of a series win, just of a game win. I think Mad mm -hmm. Lions could possibly take a game off Rogue if they if they snowball, if Kazi performs better than he did in the regular season. Um, but uh, my expectation is three three O's this weekend. I think we're going to have a, a pretty wow. quick week of the LEC. What, what would you get? What kind of percentage chance? Do you think it's like a 50-50 chance that it'll be a 9-0? If, okay, so on the, proviso, yeah, on the proviso <laughs> that Fnatic is not suffering any uh, consequences of COVID and they come back at, the, at their level, yeah. I would go 70-30 I know. Yeah, even with uh, even with treats being an MVP candidate, even with treats like SK on a five-game losing streak, it's Fair it's going to be an eight-game losing streak. Um, treats is a very good player and was the most valuable player for SK, but he is not as good as Hillasang. He is sure, yeah, yeah. So they're just going to lose. <laughs> is there anything in the universe that Shaka could do that if they did this? <laughs> So It'll can play. you remember when um, Fnatic played G2 and G2 had packet loss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was one, Wonder was tweeting about that afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, no. Uh, so <clears throat> I think the thing with Schalke is they have a very specific play style, which is uh, Mage's mid, split pushing top laner who has a uh, kill threat, and then they play through engaged support, engaged jungle. Uh, Gilius on Hecarim. If he doesn't get Hecarim, he loses. Uh, and so... I think the issue for Schalke is even if they get the perfect pieces of the puzzle, even if they get Exodia combined, you are then leaving bot lane kind of on an island because you're playing mid to top. 
yeah. and you're leaving Reckless and Mickey on an island in a 2v2 that they, they will win. Like, Limit is a good support. Neon is a good AD carry and has played some really good games recently, but um, they're not Reckless and Mickey. And yeah, the just the caliber of opposition they're facing makes it really difficult. Um, the only time Schalke showed us a win without that playstyle was against XL, and that's because they had a very specific draft to beat XL because XL only played through Patrick. And it was a very good draft, very well, well-rounded, but it was a, we will kill this one player and then you can't play. Mm. And G2, if you kill one of them, there were four more world-class yeah. players on that Bit team. Bit of a hydro. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And, you know, I think circling back, I think we covered this kind of at the start, but, you know, G2 clearly going to be the favorites to take all mm-hmm. of this. And would you still put Rogue as, as the best candidate? Do you think, like, again, speaking a little bit to kind of the whole degree of difficulty thing and, like, the, the amount of variance a team could have, do you think, like, best form Rogue has, has the best chance or maybe would Matt or Fnatic playing to their best potentially have a slightly higher chance? I think Rogue is the team with the least variance in terms mm. of their highs and their lows this season. Um, when they lose, it hasn't. It's tended to be the other team playing better rather than them lowering their quality. I, 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 I think historically, I have to put Fnatic up there just because historically, Fnatic in playoffs is a different beast, and they continue to level up and they continue to grow. But they have lost Reckless, and so yeah. I would say Rogue are the only team i could see pushing g2 to five games and it would be a small chance that they could win but i like 10 to 15 percent they could win 30 percent that they could push g2 to all five games okay well sounds like we're in for more of the same <laughs> and that's yeah. you know if you want to beat g2 you got to get good so we can't really you know blame yeah, them it, for it, winning it over and over again it's a weird one because i think if I look and just do an eye test on the league this year, it feels like the LEC is slightly worse than it was. But I think we, the teams as a whole are improving more consistently than they did in spring last year. Um, I think G2 really came out of the gate swinging last year, and it was a catch-up. And this time, G2 and Rogue have been not level-pegging, but they've both been consistently very good, and we're starting to see signs from you know, the Fnatic, possibly mad that they are beginning to improve so the, the hope is when you have five great players on one team that the rest of the league will level up and it feels a little bit like that's what's happening yeah well well let's move into some questions that were submitted by listeners uh because i think you're you're kind of leading into one of those those questions already which is great right. um so you know for for anybody listening to the show you're uh, I, I post what the guest a, a day or two in advance and you can go on patreon.com slash oracles licks or leave a comment uh with a question for the guest so uh, frequent questioner, I am not the NSA, uh, wanted to know basically kind of what you're just talking about, whether you think the overall level of the LEC has improved this year relative to previous years, or, or has it been, you know, do, do you think it has been improving in general? And I guess the, the addendum onto that, which is a lot harder to talk about, is, you know, the level of the LEC relative to the rest of the world. Has it been uh, catching up a little bit? Oh, it's such a difficult question because yeah, it it's, it's so hard to say, do you think, like, Firstly, you have message changes, right? And so I think I've seen better performances from some LEC players than I saw from them in previous years, but I also think some of them have played worse than they have in previous years. I think overall, our top two look more consistently good than they did in 2020 spring. I think this G2 and this Rogue look better than 
G2 and Rogue did, uh, G2 and Fnatic did in mm. 2020 spring. Do well, I think and it's tough because, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to exactly. interrupt. We, we didn't even have an MSI last year to compare against, right? So exactly. it like, makes it even that much harder. Yeah, um, I, I think the league as a whole, we have had some absolute clown fiesta games. Um, but as a whole, I believe we are improving. However, it is very difficult to, to say that for sure. Um, I think internationally, I would put G2 in a best of five versus pretty much any team in the world and give them a chance. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd give them the biggest chance. I think there's some very good teams coming out from LPL. RNG seem to be on a tear at the moment. Mm. Um, I think Dan One are always going to look good. And I haven't watched a huge amount of LCK recently, but they seem to be continuing their run of form from, from last year. Uh, but I don't think... I mean, I didn't think last year we'd get 3-0'd in the games either. But <laughs> yeah. like, I, I would give LEC a chance internationally. It's difficult, and we'll see at MSI, maybe we get absolutely rolled over. Uh, but I don't think our region is as bad as some people seem to be making out that it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I haven't been following LPL LCK much this split. You know, going into MSI, I'll definitely do a lot of review and get a read on them. But my general impression has been that I, I don't think you could look at those leagues either and say, like, these teams are comparable to what we got out of the top end of them. Exactly. You couldn't confidently put them far ahead. So I think it, it all depends how you look at it. Maybe we're just reviewing for with a certain level of expectations in mind maybe we're remembering the level of play at worlds and like it's a little unfair to layer that onto a spring performance where yeah you know and the meta and the issue and all that kind of stuff the issue is i could tune into a, a low tier game of the lcs yeah. and say this league is awful right or i could i could tune into c9 having a bad day and be like this is the best team you guys yeah. have got come on uh and so because i can't follow these leagues like i can't watch every single game and i don't have notes and i, I don't write like my my, my thoughts on each team, it's more of a casual viewing anyway. It becomes very difficult to judge yeah. exactly where I would stack rank teams. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how, how... I'm so glad we get to have MSI. You know, fingers yeah, crossed, knock great. on wood. <laughs> Let's make sure it actually still happens. I mean, we've but... got volcanoes going off. We've got COVID. <laughs> we'll see, the world we'll is trying to stop it, but I think it's going to happen, and I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> so looking forward to that to see whether, you know, when we get a much better actual answer to this question. Uh, another question from uh, Chase Schweitzer, who wanted to know uh, about any moments from your casting career that have been kind of the biggest highlights or that still stick with you to this day. Yeah, I have... Um... Uh, people ask me this quite a bit, and I have one cast that I remember that I was... Uh, it's the best cast I've ever done in my life. Uh, Fnatic versus G2, Game 3 of the 2019 Athens Summer Finals. Being, like... The reason I started casting was because I wanted to share my passion with other people. And with uh, being in a, an arena with 7,000 screaming fans and just listening to that. And having a five-game series in a final. Like, it was such, a, such an incredible experience. I loved it. Um, I miss fans a lot. You yeah. guys need to come back soon. It's uh, it's sad. Well, yeah, and even with even with games happening in person in person at MSI, the players are gonna be there. There aren't gonna be the fans yeah. there yet. I I don't know. I assume the casters are gonna be casting remotely as well, but don't know yet. Uh, yeah, I haven't so, got that confirmed, but historically we've cast from uh, one of the like big studios rather than from the yeah. uh, from Iceland. Yeah, it's much easier logistically, and of course with COVID, yeah. that much more uh, important. So, you know, hopefully we can get back to that before too long. Because uh, yep. that's that's part of I think what makes esports so exciting to to exactly. all of us. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. We had a, a question from J six six three Beast as well. 
Um, and it's kind of circling back to what we what we were talking about before with kind of anticipating the international events. When you're reviewing teams uh, going into an international event, so these teams from from leagues that you weren't regular following during the regular season, what are some kind of the tools or approaches that you use um, to to do that prep? Okay, so um, depending on the event, we have a stats team that will give us usually five to six page long documents that uh, that review the format of the league, the basics of the team, um, some of the statistical standouts or champion standouts for each team. Uh, alongside that, I'll do my own research, uh, usually play-by-play -play stuff. So nationality, age, what teams has he played for before? Has he been to international competitions? Uh, have they been to international competitions before? And then I will watch between three and five games from the team. Uh, usually I'll pick one from the start of the season, one from the middle. Uh, one from the end, and then whatever their finals were, to try and get a just a good understanding of how has the team developed, have they had different playstyles throughout the season, and then like what was it that won them the finals? Um, a lot of the time, actually, for international competition, you find the first week you use a lot of that information, and then the second, third, and fourth week you it's just tend to it's in yeah, yeah. it's tournament narratives, right? So, I think the it it's very good to, if you're prepping for something like that just to have ideas in your head about the team even if you couldn't specifically convey them if someone asked you to write a like uh, like a paragraph on yeah. it right because every now and again you'll see like a heimerdinger pick and you'll be like oh jao pone loves this heimerdinger <laughs> just because you've watched him play it three or four times i picked a random name there was a guy <laughs> called japone in can't remember what team yeah. he played for but anyway yeah but yeah <laughs> just having those things in your head really helps so. do you uh spend much time uh, speaking to people who kind of are, are embedded in those different regions and kind of gaining their thoughts, or do you try to focus a little bit more on kind of having your own independent thoughts and not having your your opinions come from somebody else? Usually what I'll do is um, the stats team sometimes talks to casters from that region, and they'll have like a blurb from the casters. Then I'll watch the games, and I'll reach mm -hmm. out either to casters from the region with my thoughts being like, I think they do this, do you yeah, agree? Yeah, validate me. Yeah. <laughs> or, or invalidate me. Pretty much, right? <laughs> or I'll reach out to coaches from the team and be like, hey, I know this guy's new to the stage. What uh, is there anything you want to tell us about this team so we can share your narrative, so we can help you like reach fans? Uh, and that's actually really helpful because they'll give you insight that you wouldn't usually have. So it's like, oh, he's a rookie, but he actually played seven years in amateur leagues and then mm. has been a shot caller for every team he's ever been on, stuff like that. That really yeah. gives you that bit of extra bonus salt, a little bit of seasoning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and one last uh, question here from the sci fi girl. Uh, and, and I'll I'll tweak the approach on this a little bit. I would say, how hyped are you for EU Masters? I'm pretty hyped. EU Masters is always great. Actually, ERLs have been popping off this season. Um, I think the French stream had like 100,000 viewers the other day. Yeah. It's actually absurd how good it is. And like, you look at how many names in the LEC are from EU Masters. Humanoid yeah. went there. Um, Nemesis, I believe, played in EU Masters. Abadage. You've got Shekelad, Dan, all, all of these people. Right? Like, it's It's... It's just development, and it's great to watch. And I'm casting it as well, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and you, I'm always hyped to watch the next great thing come. Maybe we'll see caps, you know, and new caps yeah. rise up once again. Yeah, I think uh, you know Spain has always had a pretty big following. Uh, some yeah. good players are coming from there. I think the Polish league tends to produce a lot of really strong talent. Yeah, uh, AJ Rogue is like a yeah. bed of just good players. Yeah, and you do see some of these teams do promote internally, right? Like Rogue promoted yep. Trimby from within the organization. And I, I love to see those kinds of stories because it shows that an org has 
picked a talent earlier on. They didn't wait for somebody else to surface them during EU Masters. They had identified them already, and they've been developed, and they brought them up in the orc. So I, I always love to see that, personally. Wait, I think, actually, the AGO Rogue roster from last year, four of the five players are now on LEC teams. Yeah. Uh, Shigenda, Shekolad, Zanzara, and Trimby were all on that team, and yeah. then they've all gone to LEC teams. So Yeah. And, and if you're the team who who produced that roster, you get to pick the one you want to keep. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. depending on the contract you signed with them, you might be able to, to make a little bit of money selling them, or maybe not. I don't know. Yep. That's more of an NA thing. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still you know. it's still good to know, right? Like it's yeah. um, you also have all of this inside scouting on your future opposition yes. if they go to yeah. other teams, right? So. Absolutely. Go go to the VOD archives and see. Okay, a year ago he was doing this. Yep. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Medic. This has been great. What is the best way for people to follow along with you and your work if they don't already know? Uh, Twitter, MedicCasts. Uh, Twitch, MedicCasts. Instagram, MedicCasts. Everything, MedicCasts. Follow and watch the LEC. Watch the yeah, LEC. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you. I'm sure you'll be all over the playoffs. Uh, and that's going to be fight exciting to, to hear your play-by-play. -play. And uh, I think we all appreciate your enthusiasm and, and uh, like you were saying before, sharing your, the passion that you have for the game. Uh, thank you very much. Well, you can support the True Sight Podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server to talk about League of Legends esports, data science, and a lot of other topics. Links for all of these things will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight Podcast with Medic, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.